Christmas. And uh, subtitle, I guess, Finding Joy in the Story. And I talked about joy last week. I'm talking about joy again this week. I just think this is a year where we need to be reminded that our command from Scripture is to have joy and uh, that God gives us the ability to have joy despite whatever could be going around, uh, on around us. Now, uh, to start that out, I have a, a little uh, funny thing to share that I saw that some in a hospital somewhere there was a sign that said, uh, remember, research shows the first five minutes of life can be the most risky. And handwritten underneath it, somebody wrote an anonymous postscript that said, the last five minutes ain't so hot either. So laughter is good for us, and healing, uh, it's kind of a healing thing. You know, you've heard the laughter is the best medicine, uh, but don't tell the government that, or they'll want to regulate it and make our health plan cover it. Uh, but laughter is one indication of joy. Uh, when we have joy in our hearts, we find it easier to smile and easier to laugh. And when we're going through difficult times, smiling and laughing can seem impossible. Or we might even say, well, it's inappropriate to laugh. I remember uh, the, the year that the attacks happened on New York City in 2001. And, and uh, for several nights, the comedians didn't know what to do. You know, the late night shows. And I think it was... Mayor Giuliani came on one of the shows and, and he officially gave the, the uh, it's, it's okay to be funny again. You know, realizing that we need to have joy, we need to have laughter. Um, and uh, if someone was to crack a joke at a funeral, some people would say, well, that's inappropriate. Mourning is inappropriate. But others may feel that the laughter is a way to cope with the loss of the loved one. Or in some cases, it may be a fitting way to memorialize a person that really had a joyous spirit. No matter what life is throwing at us, the Christian is actually commanded, as I shared with you last week, we're commanded by Scripture to have joy. In bad weather, and in desperate times, in conflict, in sickness, and also the good times, we are to have the joy of the Lord be our strength. Paul tells us in Ephesians that God predestined us to the praise of his glory. In other words, that's a, one of our predestinations is to be praising his glory. In creating humanity, Isaiah said, God was created glorifying himself. The incarnation, Paul wrote in Romans 15, should cause us to glorify God for his mercy. We are sanctified. That is, we're made more like Christ as we're purified through his spirit to the glory and praise of God, Philippians 1.11. When Jesus returns, 2 Thessalonians tells us he will be glorified and marveled at among all who believe in his name. So that's what God wants for us. His desire for us is that we would realize the love and mercy he's shown us and that we would be astounded and that we would marvel at what he has done for us, and that that would bring us joy, and that our joy would cause us to glorify and to worship and to praise him. And during Christmas time, we can reflect once more on the glory of God and the reason he did all of the work towards our salvation, that he desires for us to have joy. 
So I'm going to read the first passage this morning. I'm going to be reading some of the passages from the narratives we find in Scripture. We heard some this morning in Sunday school and already in uh, Scott's read or Blade's reading this morning. But I'm going to go through some of these just to point out some areas where joy was evident. The first is the angels and the shepherds, found in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find our baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And in case my brother-in-law Mike is watching on Facebook, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Okay. Great line from Lang Snow. That's a good program. Now I'm going to continue on, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the concern, the saying had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb, as Mark pointed out this morning. The name was given to Joseph separately and Mary separately, so there would be no mistake. That was the name. Good news of Rachel for all people. And why? For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All people. Sometimes we think we cannot have joy because our circumstances don't warrant us to have joy. Yet in the Christmas story itself are these people from all these different circumstances who are offered the joy that the events of Christmas promise. And this morning I want to briefly talk about some of those characters who we know about in Scripture. Some of them we can relate to, some of them we don't relate to as well. But my prayer for us today is that we would each realize that no matter what our circumstance, we can have the joy that the angels hold. The first characters of the Christmas story are sometimes overlooked, and yet they're critical in this event story, and they are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth are given a key role in this story, and Luke records their part of the story, and you can read about that in Luke chapter 1. Their faith and the blessing of God on them makes that, their story a very interesting story. And there are some similarities between their stories and some differences as well. But one common uh, factor between uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story and Mary and Joseph's story is an angel named 
Gabriel. Gabriel announced to Zechariah that he would have a son. And he spoke to Zechariah when Zechariah was alone serving in the temple. With Mary and Joseph, he visited each one separately, Mary first and then Joseph. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were on in years, if we could say that way. Mary and Joseph, though, were young. Zechariah was visited by the angel Gabriel and told he would have a son. However, he didn't uh, fully believe what he was being told, and so he was not able to speak until the child was born. How many wives would like their husband not to speak the whole time they were pregnant? That would be maybe a good thing or maybe a bad thing for some. But Elizabeth had joy. She had joy in the fact that God showed favor on her by providing for her to be a mother. Now, this was a very special child, and we know that, but I think she would have been pleased to have any child because she had not had one. In those days, it was considered shameful for a married woman not to have a child. And Elizabeth, by becoming pregnant, would have to those around her a sign of God's favor on her. And so Elizabeth was with child, the child who was the cousin of Jesus, who would become John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the Christ. And so now enters the Christmas story, an unborn baby, John, who leapt in the womb of Elizabeth. The joy brought by Jesus, his very presence, even while still in the womb. He was Jesus in the womb of Mary, John in the womb of Elizabeth. Here already, within the same body, sharing the same blood and food and oxygen, were a young woman with her unborn child, and in Elizabeth's case, a old woman with an unborn child. And the joy was evident in that John left when Jesus was born. How much like God to show grace on people in every circumstance. The gift of motherhood to an older lady. The gift of the recognition of the Savior to the unborn son. The joy of salvation present among all of them. A recognition that salvation brings joy even to the weak and to the lowly. Joy in the jumping of a baby in the womb. Joy in the countenance of his mother. And then we skip ahead a little bit in the story to the birth of John. And Zechariah, who had been mute for the entire pregnancy because of his faltering faith, he's restored. Not only is he restored in faith, but he's restored in his speech. And he glorifies God with a prophetic word. And here's the response that Zechariah gave once John was born. They named him John, and his mouth was free to speak again. You find this in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 68. Zechariah gave this, what is considered prophetic, phrase. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up for a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, 
the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God. Whether the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What joy in this prophecy, a, pro a prophetic praise you could call it, and how the prophecy was fulfilled, we already know. His son, who he prophesied over, was he who said of Jesus Christ, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The joy was there in his birth. The joy was in those hearts who John would baptize as they took a, baptize, a baptism of repentance and came up out of the water forgiven and clean. The joy was part of that experience as well. The next joy we see is in Mary. When she first heard from Gabriel, at first she was troubled, right? But then she submitted to God and submitted to God's will for her life and his desire that she would be a part of this remarkable story. And then finally, she speaks out as well in Rachel. The Holy Spirit inspires her speech. As we heard, um, we've heard this before, it's called the Magnificat. I think it was one of our readings in the last week or two. Like Zechariah, she is moved to speak out a praise song, a worshipful song. So much of what the Holy Spirit inspires is poetry. And a more beautiful saying you will not find that someone who is pouring out heartfelt praise and glorifying God. Mary magnifies the Lord because of the joy in her. And there's a character in the, Holy Spirit, in the Christmas story that maybe doesn't get much attention as he should at Christmas time. And that is the Holy Spirit. We must not ever forget that it's the Holy Spirit filling Zechariah. It's the Holy Spirit filling Mary, causing them to speak these great words that poetically honor God and passionately convey the response to His grace that each character in the story, in their own ways, inspires them. The Holy Spirit today is evident to us when we feel similarly moved to worship our God. The Holy Spirit is part of our being drawn to God. Part of our being convicted of our sins and convinced of the truth. The Holy Spirit is part of the ongoing process that we call sanctification, whereby we become more like our Savior and become less of like our old carnal selves. The Holy Spirit today empowers believers to be witnesses to the saving power of Christ. And the same Holy Spirit filled Mary and filled Zechariah. And that's the same Holy Spirit that we are so fortunate to experience today. The Holy Spirit is such a major character in the Christmas story. It was He who came upon Mary as the Christ child was conceived. He who caused the hearts of Joseph and Mary to be obedient to what God was asking of them. 
He who stirred in the hearts of the shepherds to believe. And he who put it into the hearts of the wise kings of the east to seek something greater than their knowledge, greater than their power, greater than their wealth. And the Holy Spirit continues his work today in each Christian as we live out a life whereby we desire to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to have joy in our salvation despite our sometimes short-sightedness in life. He helps us to have the joy of our salvation because he reminds us of our need of it. He helps us have joy in empowering us to share the good news with others. He helps us have joy by filling us in our moments of greatest need. He is our Holy Spirit, just as much as Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He is the one who guides us into the light of God. He is the one who gently reminds us to walk straight and live right. He's part of God's love towards us. He was actively involved in the Christmas story, and yet often missed as we speak about that same story. Next, a very important character in the Christmas story. The answer to every Sunday school question. Jesus, right? Obvious, right? He's part of the Christmas story. But do we realize that Jesus also had joy? Jesus had joy. And he wants us to have that his joy as well. The, the angels announced that his birth was good news of great joy. And we also need to realize that this is good news for our joy as well. David the psalmist recognized the link between salvation and joy. Salvation can be many things. Salvation from the hands of an enemy in battle is cause for joy. Salvation from hunger when food is given brings joy. Salvation from oppression by the powerful brings joy to the one who is free. But the greatest meaning of salvation is the one we usually think of in context of our faith. We are saved from our sins, saved from our deserved punishment, saved from our own wretched selves, saved from the wrong and given the opportunity to be made right. We are saved. Jesus is our salvation, and our salvation is cause for joy, great joy, marvelous joy, exceedingly great joy. Is your joy on empty? Do you need a refilling? David asked that God would restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Ask, and you shall receive. Ask for joy. Seek and you shall find. Look for joy. Search it out. Go after it. Count it all joy when encountering various trials. Joy is to be asked for. Joy is to be looked for. Joy is to be searched out to be pursued. Joy is out there, and we are called to be people of joy. So we must go after it with gusto. How can a Christian look like a sourpuss? How can a Christian be grumpy or angry or bitter? These are not the marks of a Christian. But joy is. Joy is a part of us. Now, we've heard that word joy a few times. Sometimes the point needs to be driven around. And the big idea this morning is quite simple. Joy. Have joy. Be joyous. Seek joy. Request joy from God. Look for joy. 
glorify God in this, that you realize his great gifts toward you, and realize the season truly is about joy, the joy of the Lord, which is our Some other characters in the story are the shepherds. The shepherds were working men, we know that. They were in the fields, they stayed overnight to protect the sheep and the, the sheep and the goats. And there they were, night after night. Life can get boring if we aren't careful and if we aren't looking for good things to bring our minds to glorifying God. I'm sure it took some doing for the shepherds that were devout their faith to find good things to think on. I'm sure it could sometimes be boring spending life tending sheep. But that night, God decided he would give them a good reason for joy. They were the selected audience of the very first annual Heavenly Choir Christmas concert. What a show! What stunning music! And like, you know, one thing I've always wanted to do is to go to one of Michael W. Smith's Christmas concerts, but if I could have this concert that the shepherds saw, can you imagine it? What harmony and what melody was part of that song? The sound system probably worked perfectly. And the message given to them is still for us today. Unto you was born Savior. Have joy. We have received this good news of great joy, and we have every reason to be joyous today. The wise men had joy as they neared the place where the star rested. They had joy in worshiping the newborn king with their lives and their devotion and their gifts. Joy was theirs, and it's ours today if we also worship him with our lives and our devotion. And then there was Simeon. In the Christmas story. A lot of people don't talk about him all that much either, but I think he's part of it. He was this devout man, and I'm going to read what Luke writes about him. And this is in Luke 22, uh, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel when the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he shook him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that many thoughts, that thoughts in many hearts may be revealed. And one more character in verse 36, there is a prophetess, Anne, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. 
And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of the Jerusalem. So Simeon and Anna, two devout people, lovers of God, who had been longing for the salvation of Israel, who were overjoyed to know that God was keeping his word. He was seeing to it that his faithfulness was proven to all mankind. He was providing the long-awaited Savior. Simeon had been expecting it and looking forward to it. He had been promised that he would see the, the Savior, and now he had had that promise fulfilled. He said, now I basically I can die in peace. Because I know the salvation I prayed for, longed for, spent my life expecting has for us today who have faith in Jesus Christ that he is the Savior, and as we long to see his return, we, like Simeon, will be rewarded for our faith when we finally see him face to face. He will return. He will finish what he started. He will fulfill all the prophecies that were told about him. He will bring the ultimate joy and all honor and majesty will finally be his forevermore. Christmas gives us this opportunity to worship him for what he did and have gratitude for God's provision and the opportunity to share his love and joy with others as we tell the story and live out the story, but we must ever be looking forward, looking up, looking to the sky for his return, for in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, he will return. He will complete the work. He will surprise the world one more time. We give gifts this time of year. We like to keep it a surprise. Well, some of us do. I have some awesome gifts for some people this year that I can barely contain my excitement that giving. It's all I can do to not give away the secret. But when God sent Jesus and the world was surprised by the gift, it wasn't because he had wrapped in secret paper. It wasn't because he put it in a box of a different size and put something else in there to rattle around and confuse us. The gift of the Savior had been announced. No secrecy, no crazy hints. God had told the world what he was doing, and yet many chose not to listen. Many chose not to care. Many chose to believe it would be different than what God had said through the prophets that it would be. God had been clear about the gift he was giving, and yet many were surprised by the package it came in. But that wasn't because God deceived them. It was because they didn't believe what he had said. Some saw the gift as it, as it was given, and it didn't meet their expectations, so they rejected it. Others were surprised by the packaging it came in, yet rejoiced and accepted the gift as their own. And a few devout people like Simeon and Anna had been expecting all along the gift and were ready to receive. Some had been waiting longer than they had wanted to for the gift, and they gave up on the gift ever coming. It's like checking on your tracking over and over to see is my package coming from UPS, and then finally just saying it's never going to get here, and I'm going to give up on the gift. The gift that came had been announced, but in God's timing, not theirs, and so they rejected the gift because of timing, or because of the package. 
Others had waited and were still waiting and still expecting. They're, they were rewarded for their patience. Jesus is coming again. And this is cause for great joy for those who believe. And just like he came the first time, some will not like the package. Some will be surprised at the form he takes when he returns. And But that will not be because God was cryptic and secretive. It will be because he didn't give us, it won't be because he didn't give us the opportunity to know about Christ's second coming. It will be because some people choose not to listen. They choose not to care. And just as before the birth of Christ, many have given up waiting on God to keep his promise. Many today are unwilling to wait for God's timing to be right for them. When he returns, some will have given up waiting. Some will have forgotten the promise. Some will have projected the promise. But Jesus is coming again, nevertheless. And he will complete the prophecies. And if you aren't ready, it won't be because God fooled you or because his timing was wrong, but because you make a choice day by day to not believe in him and not believe in his word. The one who believes now will be blessed at his return because of their faith. Those who believe and wait expectantly for his return will have joy when they see him, but we need not wait to have that joy because the promises of God are true. His will will be done in heaven and on earth, and his timing will be perfect, and we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. If you can put your faith in Christ and believe his word is true, then you must also believe that he comes again. You must believe that his salvation will be completed in his good time. And when you can fully trust in that and trust in his word because his word is true, then you can have joy no matter what happens to you in this life. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And joy to the world. The Lord will come. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that each of us would have a renewed sense of joy. For those of us who have put faith in you, Lord, thank you for the reminder that we need to have joy and hope and expectation of when Jesus comes again. And Lord, for those who may be here that have not put faith in you, in your Christ, in Jesus as Savior and Lord, Lord, would your Holy Spirit do that work that only you can do? Convicting the hearts of those who have sinned and need to repent, and convincing them of the truth of your promises and the truth of your word. Lord, draw them to yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name.